Let's pray. Sometimes I think faith is spelled W-A-I-T. Most of us are waiting on something this morning. Some set of circumstances to change. Waiting for something financially. Something physically. God, we're waiting on you this morning. And we want to start by asking you to forgive us for uh, running ahead of you or around you. Father, we need to acknowledge that some of us are waiting for you to show up, to speak into our lives. We don't fully get it. We're not fully on board yet. And we want to be. But we haven't found a way to faith yet. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would show yourself. Others of us, Lord, are waiting for something that we feel like you've spoken into our heart and our life. We're waiting for it to happen. God, some of us are waiting on a set of circumstances to change. Lord, we ask together this morning that you would strengthen us, shore up the places that are weak while we wait, protect us. We're prone to distraction or discouragement. We're prone to plan B. Help us. Help us to wait. Help us to stay focused on you. Help us to cling to your promise. Lord, we know this morning we're kidding ourselves when we think other alternatives are better. This morning we say we'll wait. In the strong name of Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. There are two ways in which Abraham is incredibly instructive for our lives. So Father Abe is still important to us in a couple of really significant ways. One way is that Abraham is an example of how God-honoring faith acts. Now God-honoring faith is critical because the Bible tells us without faith you can't please God. In fact, without faith you can't connect to God because he's unseen. So Abraham shows us how God-honoring faith acts. And this is exactly the way the author of the New Testament book of Hebrews talks about Abraham. There's a point in the book of Hebrews toward the end when he's ramping up. And he lists for us what some have called the hall of fame of faith. He lays out Old Testament heroes and how it is that they're an example to us. And that Old Testament hall of that fame of faith is found in Hebrews chapter 11. So, look, if you have a Bible, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 11. It's toward the back of the New Testament. It's one of the little New Testament letters toward the back. If you're on your phone, you can just type in Hebrews and it'll find it. Hebrews chapter 11. And if you don't have a Bible, it will be on the screen. Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to read the introduction, which is critically important. Verse 1. And then I'm going to read the Abraham section, verses 8 through 12. So let's go old school. If you would, out of reverence for God's Word, stand with me as we read Hebrews 11, verses 1, and then we'll skip Noah and Abel, and we'll talk about Abraham, verses 8 through 12. This is what it says. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And then he begins the list, and we'll skip down to verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, 
as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age, and Sarah, herself barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, parentheses, tongue-in-cheek, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. You may be seated. Let's start by explaining the first verse of this chapter because it's incredibly revealing and important, and I'm going to do a little bit of language work. The kind of stuff is both important and fascinating to some of you. Listen to this. This is awesome. Let's take a minute and unpack it, or at least a small part of that first verse, that introduction. There's a very important word here I want us to dig into for a second. Verse 1 says, now faith is being sure, or faith is assurance, or faith is confidence, some of your translations may say. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. The word translated here, being sure, is actually the Greek word hypostasis. Now this word is a noun, and it sometimes refers to the objective, outside of ourselves, actuality of something, or the exact representation of a thing. So for example, in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, the same author uses this same word to say that Jesus is the hypostasis of God's being, which means Jesus is the actual reality of God in the flesh. This word also often refers objectively to the sure and certain ground or the basis of a thing. This isn't literally like the ground or the foundation of a building. This is the figurative foundation of, or the, the basis or the ground of a plan or a project or an idea or even a feeling. In other words, if, if we have a plan that is hypostasis, that means it can be relied on. It's going to happen because it has a sure and certain basis in reality. In the same way, I could say my love for my wife Diane is hypostasis, which means it's real, it's grounded. There's a basis for it. Perhaps it's our experience in our life together, but there's a basis for it. And because of that basis, I know I can count on it. And so can she, and so can our children. It's not just a passing feeling. It's grounded in something more solid. In a similar way, this word hypostasis is also sometimes used subjectively to mean the sense I have of assurance or confidence within myself that something is real or true or is going to happen. For example, Diane might say her trust in my love is hypostasis, which would mean she has confidence in it. It has a solid reason and it has a solid basis. She can build on it. She can make life decisions based on it based on my love for her, because it's hypostasis. And that's the way it's usually translated in this passage. Now faith is being sure. Faith is the assurance. Faith is the confidence of what we hope for. Of course, hope is our emotional response to God's touch on our lives and hearts. But the important part about looking at the nuance of this word this morning for us is that it helps us see that hope is this hope, the hope that we have in Him is not just an emotion. It is hypostasis. It's grounded. It has a solid foundation. And it's not primarily focused on how we feel. Whenever this word is used, the emphasis is on the foundation or the ground or the basis for our belief. And it always has a view toward action. 
So the author of Hebrews is not saying, faith means that I really feel certain about God all the time. The author is saying, faith means I act with assurance because of what I know about God and what I've seen Him do. I build my life and my choices on the certainty that what I hope for is an actual reality even though I may not have experienced it yet. The renowned Greek scholar Robertson Nicole wrote one of my favorite commentaries on the letter to the Hebrews over a hundred years ago. It's kind of hard to read. The language is a little older, but it's awesome commentary. I want you to listen to how he explains this section. This is beautiful. Uh, Dr. Nicole says this, Faith is that which enables us to treat as real that which is unseen. Substantially, the words here mean that faith gives to things future, which are as yet only hoped for, all the reality of actual present reality. All right, after that introduction, the author launches into the Hall of Fame of God-honoring faith, and with verse 8, he begins to talk about Abraham, and he says this, By faith Abraham, when called to go, that word called, It's an incredibly important word. To be called is essentially biblical shorthand for having a life-changing encounter with God. So when you read that in the Bible, you know what they're saying is, giddy up, my heart, my life has been completely changed because I've seen God. Something's happened to me that's rattled me. And Abraham's response? He obeys. A couple of notes about his obedience. On the one hand, Abraham's obedience had considerable Hope and positivity attached to it. He believed he was going to a place that would be his inheritance. On the other hand, this obedience was also a risk. I talked about the spelling of faith. Abraham didn't know where he was going. Pastor and author John Wimber used to say, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. And Abraham took a considerable risk here in obeying God. As proof of this point, when Abraham got to the so-called land of promise, he lived his life there in tents. He was living in obedience. He was making all of his significant choices with reference to God's calling and with a view toward the hope he had. He acted as if those promises were in actuality, even though he didn't see it. He didn't see the results right away. He acted as if the place was his home, even though in reality he was living in tents as an alien in the land. All the while, he believed God's word to him. He followed God's instructions for him. He waited on God to bring into his experience what he was already trying to act on as a reality. There's one final point that the author of Hebrews knows we need to understand about God honoring faith. Abraham believed the land would eventually be his land. He believed God's promise, exclamation point, italicized, underlined, and yet, even that was not his ultimate hope. He lived and acted based on the knowledge that there was a greater place for him, that one day he would be with God himself. Abraham was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Man, his hope was hypostasis. It had a ground, a basis. All of this taken together is what God-honoring faith acts like. And because of this kind of faith, God is ultimately able to fulfill His most important promise to Abraham. He and his wife Sarah give birth to a son when they're ancient. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself as barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so, from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. 
This is what God-honoring faith acts like. God-honoring faith is more like a muscle than it is a concept. We exercise it. We act in the now as if what God has told us is a reality even though we are not yet experiencing it. And I wish I had a lot of time this morning to unpack the implications and application of this for your life and your singleness or your marriage and mine and my kids and this incredible project that we're about to undertake as Gateway Community Church. We're going to erect a facility across the street. And we're stepping into radically unknown territory. But we're going to continue to move ahead and act as if it's already an actuality in our experience because we believe that God has laid that out before us. This is how God-honoring faith acts. God-honoring faith is based on a life-changing, bone-rattling encounter with God that changes our perspective on everything. Out of that encounter, we begin to sense who we are and where we belong in a brand new way with brand new eyes. Knowledge is then added to this experience. And this knowledge is literally information about God. But it's also heart knowledge and self-awareness. And then over time, God-honoring faith grows into a basis out of which right and healthy choices can be made. So we make right career choices and right family choices and right relationship choices out of a solid hypostasis hope, a foundation, a grounded basis based on our experience with Him, based on what we've seen Him do, and then based on His call on our lives. Bone-rattling, life-altering change in us. A brand new perspective. In this process, Abraham's our guide. He shows us what God-honoring faith acts like. Plus, there's a second way that Abraham is instructive for us today. And we'll do this one quickly. Secondly, Abraham's story creates in us a sense of awe and wonder at what God produces out of God-honoring faith. Abraham produces for us, he creates in us, a sense of awe and wonder at what God produces, what God can do when we offer up to him God-honoring faith, what he produces in us out of God-honoring faith. This man, Abraham, this man who changed his entire life because he believed that God had called him to a new home and promised him he would be the father of many nations. This man who lived nearly his entire adult life without ever seeing either of those hopes fully realized. This man who was as good as dead before his wife conceived even one child. This man Abraham would become part of the genealogy of Jesus, the Savior of the world. Forget for a minute how powerful it would have been for Abraham to know that while he was alive. That would be amazing. But let's think about the cost of Abraham's obedience. Over many, many years, the discouragement he must have faced, the fruitlessness that he must have felt. And then, let's think about the cost that would have been if his obedience had faltered or failed. Perhaps the entire history of mankind would have been different. When we offer God faith that honors him, he can and will do amazing things. Abraham is exhibit A. So as you step out this morning, 
this afternoon, next week, into your Monday. When we offer God God God-honoring faith, He can and will produce amazing things through us. All that has been spoken into our hearts and lives, He will bring to fruition if we offer Him God-honoring faith. And God-honoring faith is based on a bone-rattling, life-changing encounter with Him, and God-honoring faith acts as if what God has laid before us, what God has laid before us, not what our emotions have laid before us. That's part of His work in our life to strain out the two. But what God has laid before us, God will bring to pass. So we continue to live and act and move as if those things were already a reality. That's God-honoring faith. And that's what we do as those who honor Him. Let's pray. Some of us, Lord, don't feel equipped, if that's the right word, to do that this morning. To offer that. So I want to pray today, Lord Jesus, that You would intervene in the hearts and minds today who are struggling with doubt. I pray today for those of us who are struggling to believe. I pray that You would move in us in a way that is life-altering and bone-rattling. God, I also want to pray for those of us who have forgotten. Maybe we've been so busy, or maybe we haven't heard Your voice or sensed Your touch for a long time, and we've forgotten. Our bones have been shaken years ago, perhaps in our late 30s, maybe our early 50s. Maybe when we were college or high school, we knew your presence. We felt your touch. And we've moved away from it. We haven't lived in light of it. God, we give you permission this week to bring us back to life. Strengthen us and help us to make choices based on that. Because that's the real thing. All this other stuff, the illusion of control, it's just an illusion. That's the real thing. And then there are those of us this morning, Lord, who are growing weak, faltering, but trying. We're trying to hang on. We're trying to act as if. We're trying to believe what we sense you've spoken and said. We're trying to make choices based on that. Help us. Thank you for what you've done already. Strengthen us. Lord, I pray that we would move well and finish well. God, I ask in Jesus' name that you would help us as individuals and as Gateway Community Church to offer you God-honoring faith because we know it pleases you. Hear our prayer, Lord. Thank you so much. In the strong name of Christ our Lord, we pray. And all God's people said...